countries. Uh, but let's pray for these. And you can grab this on your way out to know what to pray for this week. All right, Psalm chapter 90. <clears throat> we'll just read verse 12. Let's read it together in unison, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. The Word of God says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let's pray. Father, powerful verse, one that we all ought to know and ought to memorize. And today, give us some context in it, this interesting application from this truth. Save those that need saving. Encourage those that need encouraged. Help us all to seek your will and to find it and know the joy of living in sweet submission to the Savior, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This is the text I used yesterday while I was uh, preaching to the teenagers. And I confess, <clears throat> the sermon I'm going to preach this morning is not what I wanted to preach. Sometimes the Lord will do that. And this morning I was laboring over, I had something else I wanted to preach, and I didn't feel right about that. And so I'm looking at other sermons and laboring, didn't feel right about that. And early this morning, I'm just sitting at my table with my head in my, my hands going, all right, Lord, you got you to gotta tell me what you want me to say. i got to preach in a couple hours here. And um, he kept bringing me back to the message I preached yesterday, but I'm like, I don't want to preach the same message I preached yesterday. Uh, I don't like giving leftovers, amen? Uh, but at the same time, the Lord showed me that uh, I'm not going to preach the same sermon I preached yesterday. I'm going to give you the same truth but I'm not going to preach the same sermon. As a matter of fact, if you heard the sermon yesterday and you hear it today, it may seem like two <clears throat> completely different sermons. Introduction's different, illustrations are different, end is different, but I think the truth is good for everybody. We're just going to tailor the truth for our <clears throat> church here this morning. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12 is such a, a marvelous passage of scripture it says so teach us to number our days what does that mean count your days keep track of your days why that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom in verses 1 through 11 the bible compares our eternal god to carnal man and he says a lot of things about god god is eternal that means god's trustworthy that means god's sovereign that means god's lord but then we find out also in those verses that man is carnal. That means man is sinful, and man is weak, and man is foolish, so we need God's salvation, strength, and wisdom. And then he comes down here and says, so teach us to number our days because of this. Because God is eternal, and because man is carnal, Lord, teach us. Because of that, teach us to count or to keep track or to number our days. The purpose of numbering the days is not just so you can keep track of how old you are. It's that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, how do we number our days? I think there's three basic ways we number our days by way of introduction. Number one, we number our days in comparison to eternity. So think about this. Whenever you look at your life, you might say, man, my life and I'm 70 years old or I got a lot of life left or I'm a teenager or you know what? My life's almost over and and and. Uh, you know, I'm like 45, and I'm almost over the hill, and, and death is coming soon. I'm 45. And uh, you're, on that, you're on that fast slide toward eternity. And uh, just joking. But uh, wherever you're at, 
you need to look at your life in comparison to eternity because the Bible starts out with God's eternal. And so when we compare our lives to God and to everything that eternity is, it gives us a sense of where we fit, not just in our world today, but in creation as a whole. And it's a mighty small place, isn't it? It gives us perspective. Man, that'll keep you from getting a God complex. That'll keep you from feeling like, man, I got the world under control and, and I got my, my life ahead of me and, man, I'm going to do whatever I want, when I want, how I want. I'm the Lord of my life. Well, you step back and take a look at eternity and realize you in comparison to that, humbling. Humbling. Next, we need to number our days in comparison to the average lifespan. Verse 10 says, The days of our years are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for soon it is cut off and we fly away. He said, so the average lifespan is around 70 years, threescore and ten. And if you live to be 80, the longer you're alive after 70, man, the body just starts to, to move a little slower and, and uh, things get a little bit harder. Uh, I've had many senior saints joke with me over the years and say, hey, growing up's not for sissies, or growing old's not for sissies, you know. And uh, my father-in-law jokes with me, the only thing uh, worse than growing old is not growing old. Get it? And so uh, it, it's, not for, uh, it, it's not for sissies. I mean, it gets difficult. If you get more than your three score and ten, praise God if you can live nowadays 75 and 80 and 85 and 90. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, recently visited with Hub and Carol. He started skiing when he, he stopped skiing when he was 91. I mean, this was a man of incredible vim and vigor and life force. And yet even today, you know, he and his wife, they've been trying to get to church. He and Carol can't seem to get here with the weather and different things and, and walking slowly around the house. And life catches up with all of us. So we need to compare ourselves to eternity. And then we need to compare ourselves to the average lifespan. Where do you fit in that average lifespan? You say, well... I'm closer to the end, or you know what, I'm right in the middle, or, or I'm, I'm right here at the beginning. We need to figure out where we are and where we fit in, and so we can number our days. And then number three, though, and this is where I want to talk to us this morning, I think it's important to number our days in the order of importance. To number our days in the order of importance. If I were to ask you today, what are your top five important days of your life? I wonder what we'd say. Well, I think we could all add the top days of our lives, man, when our kids were born. Oh, what a wonderful day that was. And we could all have these differing ideas of, man, this was a great day in my life, and this was a, a wonderful day, and man, I'd put that right towards the top. But I mean, as far as numbering our days and applying them to wisdom, what would be the top five days in God's view of every life? And these aren't the only five. You could go the top ten. You could go a lot further. But I believe that if you get the first five most important days of your life right, if you get those nailed down and you get a good perspective of those and apply them to wisdom, then you've got a good handle on life going forward no matter what age you are, whether you're 15 or 50 or anywhere around that, right? And so let's learn today... The five most important days of your life as we number our days in order of importance. Let me say number one. The first most important day in your life is the day you were born. 
you say, preacher, that's kind of obvious. Oh, the day you were born. You know, if you weren't born, you wouldn't be here. Confucius say. <laughs> yeah. If you weren't born, you wouldn't be here. Folks, we got to go back to the very beginning. You know, it's like studying your Bible. If you get Genesis right, then you've got a good chance of getting a lot of the Bible right. But if you get Genesis wrong, you're going to get a lot of the Bible wrong. That's why Satan works so hard to attack the book of Genesis in the Bible. The first three chapters in the Bible are the most attacked chapters in all of God's Word. Why? Because if you don't get those right, you're going to mess up in the rest of it. The next most attacked chapter is the book of Revelation. See, if you can get the beginning right, and you can get the end right, then you can draw a line of wisdom between the two and live a successful life. And I'm telling you, if you can get the first day you existed right and get your mind wrapped around that, then you can get on the path to having a wise and productive and blessed life. The day you were born. You are alive today because God wanted you to exist. I'm amazed at how many adults I talk to, and they still have never settled this fact. I am sorry that people have said horrible and awful things to you, and I mean that sincerely. I've met 30, 40, 50-year-olds who say, you know what, my parents used to tell me I'm nothing, and they've believed it their whole life. You know what, my dad or my mom told me I was an accident, that I was never wanted, that I'm no good, I'm here for no reason that they wish I'd never been born. And those things stick with you, don't they? But you've got to settle, friend, no matter how old you are, that you are here for a reason. If you believe an evolutionary viewpoint of creation, then all you believe is, hey, the world's here for no reason, we're here for no reason, my my entire existence is a byproduct of, of millions of beneficial mutations over billions of years, We're here for no reason. We have no purpose. We'll die and go to nothing. Boy, that's a life you want to live, isn't it? How terrible. And that might sound good in the beginning because, man, no rules. But let me tell you something. That's a terrible way to live. An awful, terrible existence. And nihilism might look cute in a college classroom. But, man, you put it in practice in life. I guarantee you nobody wants to live in a society that is built on nihilism and determinism. Nobody. It's a terrible place. But if you have a creation, a biblical creation view, then everything you see here is, exists because God wanted it to. And there's somebody bigger than us who said, I want there to be a universe, I want there to be an earth, and I'm going to make it beautiful, and I'm going to fill it with people, and I'm going to love those people, and I'm going to make a way for them to spend eternity with me. That means that my life has meaning. When you believe an evolutionary viewpoint, you'd simply become an animal, no different than an amoeba or a cell or a rat doing what rats do, doing what dogs do, doing what humans do. No, we are a special creation of God. And just as God took in the beginning, he he made uh, the the, the clay and molded a lifeless body. And he breathed life into that lifeless body. And that body became a living soul. God decided for you to be here. Look at Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139, we find just how personal every child born is to God. Look at Psalm 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. The reins, think about a horse reins. It's how you lead an animal. So God's in control of my life. Before I had being, before I had consciousness, before I had a will, God was in control of my very creation. And then he says, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Covered means to be surrounded. So we see that as the psalmist understood through inspiration of God, that as he was being formed in his mother's womb, God was directly involved in his creation. Verse 14, I will praise thee. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that which my soul knoweth right well. Boy, folks, if you were to understand just how much of a miracle it is for you to exist, I mean, out of all the seven and a half billion people in the world right now, why are you here? And out of all the possible permutations of people that could have been born in your place with different personalities and and different heights and different weights and different colors, why are you here? Why do you exist? Because there's a God in heaven who said, I want there to be a Tony. I want there to be a Joe. I want there to be a Bob. I want there to be a John. And all throughout the world. And he made you because he wanted you to be. Isn't that beautiful? Look at verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. The lowest parts of the earth is an allusion to the mother's womb. Verse 69, eyes did see my substance, yet, yet being unperfect or unfinished. So God can look into the womb, and he's in there working, forming this child. These aren't just biological processes. These are, this is God creating a new life. He goes on, and look what he says, and in thy book, All my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. This is so beautiful. Before you were ever born, probably before your mom and dad were ever born, back in eternity past, God decided everybody who would ever be born throughout the history of the world. And God has a book, and when it comes time for someone to be born, God makes sure that that person is formed according to, to the way he has predetermined that person to be. This means God is personally involved in your life from before you were aware there was a God at all. See, folks, that's why we got to go all the way back to the beginning. One of the most important days of your life is you settle the fact that you are here because God wanted you to be here. You are a special creation of God. You might say, well, I don't like myself this this way, or I don't want this. And a lot of people, you know, you worry about your appearance. Well, I I wish I had more hair. I wish my hair was a different color. I wish my eyes weren't so far apart. I wish they were closer together. I wish my nose was smaller. I wish it was bigger. I wish my teeth were like this. I wish I had a different build. I wish I was a different this. Stop doing all of that and just look up to the heavens and say, I praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, when you can nail that down, it gives you good, solid footing to live the rest of your life because you have meaning, you have purpose, 
and you have a personal God who's involved in your life. Isn't that a blessing? The first most important day of your life is the day you're born. The second most important day of your life is the day you're born again. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Gospel of John chapter 3. Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, comes to Jesus by night. He, he respected Jesus and he wanted to ask Jesus questions, but he didn't want to be identified with Jesus because the Pharisees were becoming the enemies of Christ and were threatened by his, his power with God. And Nicodemus came and said nice things about Jesus, but then look at John chapter 3, verse 3, what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus didn't know what this meant. How can I be born again a second time? You see, we are in this physical world, and we, we see the physical, we touch the physical, we taste the physical. And if you're not careful, you will believe that all there is is a physical world. Matter of fact, a lot of the atheists, a lot of the agnostics, they say all there is is the physical. There's nothing else. There's nothing we don't understand which is ridiculous. And so Jesus had to teach him there is a physical birth and there is a spiritual birth. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is spirit, little s. Marvel not that I say unto thee, said unto thee, ye must be born again. Nicodemus, you're not going to go to heaven until you have a spiritual birth. How do I get that spiritual birth? John 3.16 was given to Nicodemus. A lot of times we miss that context. The most famous verse in the Bible was given to this man who was trying to figure out how to be born again. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Nicodemus, if you trust in God's only begotten Son, you won't have to die and go to hell, but you can have everlasting life. And this is still the truth today. Dear friend, if you're here or you're under the sound of my voice and you've never been born again, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you are dead in your sin. You have no hope of heaven. There's no amount of good works. There's no religion. There's no religiosity that can help you get to heaven because you are dead and you need a resurrection, this new birth. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, accept Him as our Savior, believe in His death, burial, and resurrection, then we can have everlasting life. See, the most important day is the day you were born. You've got to get that settled. The second most important day is the day you're born again. The third most important day is the day you learn why you were born. The day you learn why you were born. Why are you here? Why do you exist? Let me show you a verse that's often quoted, but I think often misunderstood. Proverbs chapter 22. Do you know that a lot of people today are struggling to find out what they're supposed to do with their lives? It is shocking how many young people go to college, get a degree, and then never use that degree because they figure out, oops, that's not what I was supposed to do in the first place. And I'm not getting on to them. I'm simply saying that it is indicative of a greater problem. Why am I here? 
And even if you've got a great job and a great career, it's, it's meaningless. It's empty to say, well, God put me on the earth to fill out forms. God put me on the earth to count money. God put me on the earth to, to move things around. It's, it's, it's meaningless. And we all need a greater sense of meaning than what we do. What we do does not define our entire being. It's who we are that defines us. And when you realize who you are and why you're here, it's life-changing. Proverbs 22, look at the famous verse 6. Let me read it like we usually read it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is often just read as a generalized, you know, if you just give a child general training in the Bible, if you just teach them what the Bible says, then one of these days, they might get away from it for a while, but one of these days they're going to come back to what the Bible says. And I think that the, the, that's a wonderful application. But we all know people that were generally taught what the Bible says and they chose not to follow it. So a general understanding of God's will is not enough to keep me on the straight and narrow. But let me read this verse a different way with a little bit different emphasis and see if you can catch the deeper meaning. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, when you put the emphasis on the he, now it's personal. So now we're not just giving someone a general training of what God wants. Now we're trying to teach someone why are you here? Why are you alive? Why are you breathing? Why are you taking up space on this planet? What is your purpose for breathing and being alive and getting up in the morning? And whenever you teach somebody and they get it and the light bulb goes off and they're like, this is why I'm here. You'll never be able to talk it out of them. You'll never be able to talk them out of it. Because it's bigger than a general, it's this is me. I am doing right now what God made me to do. I have no doubt about it. And as a 17-year-old boy, God showed me what I should do. And I'm trying to fulfill that in my life. You know why? Because the cause is bigger than me. And each one of you, praise God, if you're, you know, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a, 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 an office worker, you're an executive, you work at a, a, a job that pays the bills, you, you have this goal and you get up in the morning. But let me tell you something, there has to be something bigger than getting up to pay the bills. Don't get up to make a living, get up to make a difference. And I tell you, if you can go to work and do whatever... But you know there's a bigger reason for you being alive. You'll live with joy and purpose, and you'll follow hard after God because you've got a bigger purpose. Didn't David say, is there not a cause when nobody would fight Goliath? And if we don't know the cause, we have nothing to fight for. The third most important day is to learn why you were born. A lot we could say about that. The fourth most important day of your life is the day you get married. The day you get married. My youth pastor used to say, the most important decision you'll ever make 
is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The second most important decision you'll ever make is who you're going to marry. And let me just say, there's nothing better than being married to a good, godly, Christian person. It is bliss. Most of the time, right? You're still married to a sinner, right? So there are still going to be difficult days. But it is wonderful when you marry God's will and someone who loves God like you do. It's wonderful. Let me tell you, the only thing worse than not being married is being married to the wrong person. It can be hell on earth. So what do we do? You say, well, Matt, preacher, maybe I married the wrong person. Or preacher, maybe I, I wasn't thinking. Or maybe I, I got in this thing. And maybe my, my wife doesn't love the Lord. And my husband doesn't love the Lord. And, and, and what are we going to do? There's a lot of friction in our marriage. The good news is two things. That first of all, as soon as you got married, that person became God's will for you. So the answer is not to get out of the marriage. The answer is to bring God into the marriage. Right? And so if you are married whether it's bliss or a struggle, the way that you two make your marriage bliss is to bring God deeper into your marriage. Here's what we do in marriage counseling. Husband comes in, he's over here. Wife comes in and she's over here. They are far apart, they can't get along. But wait, God's up here. So all we do is teach them that the more they surrender to God and the closer they get to God, look what happens to each other. See, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And marital bliss is when husband and wife decide to seek God together. And God can repair any marriage. I say with confidence, if you will surrender to God, maybe, maybe you're, you're like, preacher, I got my hand on the door, you know, this thing isn't working. Why don't you try God first? Try God first. Try God first. I've had many people over the years, and they come in my office as a last-ditch effort. And they, I had a man call me one time, Easter Sunday. He called and said, I'm getting ready to divorce my wife. I came to church, visit a couple times. I figure out how to talk to you before I divorce her. <laughs> that was the message on the church answering machine. And uh, so I called him back, and I said, hey, I'm glad you called. I said, why don't you come in and talk? And so we talked to him, we got him and his wife together, and now all these years later, they're still married. And so God can, can work if we allow him to, and if not, maybe, maybe, it, maybe things blow up, then you personally turn to God, and God can work in your life and rebuild your life anew. Amen, number four, the day you get married. Then lastly, look at Luke chapter 9. Is this interesting to you? Luke chapter 9, five most important days of your life. Number one, the day you're born. Number two, the day you're born again. Number three, the day you learn why you were born. Number four, the day you get married. And number five, the day you fully surrender to Christ. Luke chapter 9, look what Jesus said to his disciples in verse 23. And he said unto them all, 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Look at this next verse. For whosoever will save his life shall what? Lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall what? Save it. So here's what we're thinking. I can't surrender fully to God. I can't surrender fully to Christ because I have to protect what's mine. If I have to keep this for me, this is what I want. This is what I need. I'm not sure God's going to take care of me. I'm not sure God's going to do what I want. So what happens is as you're trying desperately to hold on to what you want, you end up losing it anyway. As you try to pick up a fistful of sand and the harder you squeeze it, the more it squeezes out between your fingers. And what happens is when you surrender to God and you say, God, here I am, here's everything I have, here I am. Then what God does is turn around and give it back to you in better quality and better quantity than you had in the first place. And some of us need to stop fighting God and just surrender. What does that mean? We need to deny ourselves. The Christian life is a life of self-denial. You know why a lot of people don't follow God? Because they love their sin. They want to sin. And let me tell you, sin's fun for a season, for a little bit. And then it chews you up, eats you alive, guts you. Mind, soul, body, spirit leaves you nothing but an empty husk. Now, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to first tell yourself no. There are places I don't go. There are things I don't do. There are things I don't hear. There's things I don't see. This old flesh will lie, steal, and cheat to get what it wants. And I've got to learn that my brain is made to tell this body what to do. Self-denial. Tell yourself no. What do you do next? Take up your cross daily. What's a cross? It's a burden. Well, some people don't follow Jesus because it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard. Listen, folks, if, if following Jesus was easy, everybody would do it. But following Jesus isn't easy. And every one of you have burdens. You have difficulties. You have struggles. You have things in your life. For some, it may be addiction. For others, it may be anger. For others, it may be relational difficulties. For others, it may be financial trouble. For others, it may be uh, just your life's in chaos right now. The, the list can go on and on. But every one of us, if you're going to follow Jesus, every day you've got to wake up. You've got to tell yourself no and surrender to God. And you've got to put that cross on your back and carry it if you're going to follow Jesus. Do the hard thing. The good news is you never carry it alone. Amen? Because when you pick it up, you get in the yoke with Christ. He does the heavy lifting. But you've got to be willing to carry it. And then lastly, follow me. What does that mean? You're not the boss anymore. I don't do what I want every day. I do what God wants. I don't go where I want. I try to go where God wants. I don't say what I want. Boy, if I said what I want. <laughs> no. 
Some of your problem is you say whatever you want. There's things you don't say. Because it's not about me. And every day we're going to follow him. What is that? That's submission. And the fifth most important day of your life is whenever you realize that your life's not about you. And you'll never be happy serving you. You'll be happy whenever you wake up every day and you say, God, my body, my soul, my spirit, they belong to you. Give me strength to tell myself no. Give me grace to carry my cross. Give me wisdom to follow you. And every day I'm going to follow Jesus. That's a good life. Easy? No. But you'll never be sorry. Amen. The five most important days of our life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth that we were able to...